As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. You're listening to Here's the Catch with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome in. Another episode of Here's the Catch. The 49ers are 3-0. They beat the New York Giants 30-12. They've actually put up 30 points, the 49ers have, in each of their three wins. So three seems to be a popular number for this football team. Matt, have you been, have you been impressed with what you've seen so far from the 49ers? I think that... The league has been put on notice that this team is, again, for real this year. And to me, if they stay healthy, they've got a shot to go far away. Yeah, and um, I think Brock Purdy is a, obviously a huge part of that. And, uh, you know, the more you talk to people, the more that the game against the Giants was one that they appreciated more after they watched the film and saw what the Giants were doing and then saw how Purdy reacted to that. And the bottom line is, is something that we've been talking about uh, for, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks with Brock Purdy. <laughs> he doesn't look like a 23-year-old. Usually, you know, in the face of that type of blitz, um, you know, just the relentlessness of the blitz in the, and I think the complexity of the blitz too. Uh, Wink Martindale is very good at, uh, disguising them and, and basically tricking young quarterbacks who, who haven't seen them before. Um, but Purdy sort of reacted like uh, a 10-year veteran. I think he was rattled a little bit on the opening drive, uh, three of eight on that drive, uh, but calmed down on the next one a little bit. He, that's when he had that nice sideline throw to uh, George Kittle. And then from that point on, uh, it was just a, a steady game for him. Um, and then everybody knows the, the final numbers, you know, over 300 yards. Uh, but, uh, the point is that he got a really good taste of, um, a, a, uh, you know, a heavy blitzing team, um, you know, playing Wink Martindale is a rite of passage for NFL quarterbacks. Uh, Sam Darnold did it. Uh, Brandon Allen did it. Neither of those guys did nearly as well as Brock Purdy. Uh, but I talked to Alan today, and his point was that this is going to serve Brock Purdy well moving forward, having this sort of game under his belt, um, ha- having to go to the sideline, sit down next to Brian Greasy, 
and sort of work through some of the problems that they were facing early on. Um, it's just a uh, another step in his uh, in his process in his maturation. And uh, like I said, I think it's going to pay dividends down the road. And it's not like the 49ers were inept on that first drive. They moved the ball straight down the field. It was a situation where, yeah, he went three of eight because they're having a little bit of trouble with that pressure discombobulating the offense. But still, when the chips were down, Brock Purdy delivered. They went nine of 16 on third down against the New York Giants. And I thought maybe his second best throw, well, let's say third best throw of the game came on that first drive. Doesn't get nearly enough credit for it. It was the third down delivery to Jawan Jennings over the middle. And in real time, I saw on social media, oh, he threw it slightly behind Jennings. But then when you put on the tape, you see that he had to or else it would have been broken up or even worse an interception. The safety was coming from left to right. It was disguised coverage from the New York Giants. So Purdy intentionally threw the ball a hair behind Jawan Jennings, still in a spot where he could catch the ball for a big third down pickup. But... No, I mean, that was a lever that Brock Purdy was pulling intentionally on the play. And I think it's really worth mentioning that, that on the very first drive of the game, even when he, you know, looked his worst of the game, Brock Purdy was making big time third down conversions and the 49ers kicked the field goal. I think that things really got rolling on drive number three when Brock Purdy found Debo Samuel for on the little tunnel screen that turned into the 30-yard gain that that picked up the third down and 15. Because I think Kyle Shanahan also recognized that the Giants were bringing a a historically high blitz rate at this point. They blitzed on 85% of Brock Purdy's dropbacks, 33 of 39 dropbacks. That's the most that NFL Next Gen Stats has ever recorded. So when the 49ers saw how aggressive Wink Martindale was being, They also said, okay, hey, we're going to go screen passes. We're going to go quick release. And Brock Purdy was 2.3 seconds from snap to release, which was the fastest snap to release time of of his career. It would match the fastest snap to release time of Jimmy Garoppolo's tenure with the 49ers. That was week 10 against the Rams in 2021. And uh, there is no shame in throwing the ball short. In fact, the short game is what's going to determine a championship. It always has. That's the truth in football. Quarterbacks have to set up yards after the catch, and Brock Purdy helped set up a ton of yards after the catch. What that did, Matt, over the middle portion of the game is that it forced the New York Giants to to change their alignments. And ultimately, the 49ers started gashing them downfield. That's what we saw in the second half, right? We saw a big, big throw to Debo Samuel downfield to put the game away. But I also want to mention that the drive where the 49ers really started to take control of the game. This came earlier after a bunch of those runs and short passes. Brock Purdy faced another aggressive blitz, and he threw to Ronnie Bell before Bell had even exited his break. And it was that was an arm strength throw. It was an anticipation throw. It was an arm strength throw. He had to get it across the field to the pylon where only Ronnie Bell could get it. Any semblance of a weak arm, an injured arm, or an arm that's not you know, fully back to strength pre-injury, and that situation would have been intercepted. But it wasn't. Brock Purdy got the mustard on it off of his back foot. So throughout this game, I just saw an array of impressive throws against pressure. And to me, it's no surprise after you watch what he did that you look up and the two most efficient quarterbacks in football right now are Tua Tagovailoa, doesn't shock anybody after a 70-point game, and Brock Purdy. Also, Purdy has, has been slightly more efficient than Tagovailoa 
on third and fourth downs. And that's a testament to the 9 of 16 performance that we saw against the New York Giants. So, Matt, every single metric that you're looking for within the context of this system for quarterback success, Brock Purdy right now is is delivering it. And the 49ers, you know, the scary thing is they think he can get even better, as you said, because he went through a couple of rough patches. Nobody's saying these performances are perfect, but you look around the whole league and we had a chance to on Sunday and there weren't any perfect quarterback performances, maybe outside of Tua's in, my, in Miami, but still Brock Purdy's stacking up favorably with him in terms of the advanced metrics, which I think says a whole heck of a lot about the start that we've seen from number 13. Yeah, he, he and Tua are getting the ball out uh, as quick as anybody this year. And, and Tua, it's, it's mostly just brilliant scheming um, and, and, the, and the dangerous uh, receiving crew that they've got over there. Um, something that Dan Orlovsky brought up, um, the, the former quarterback who's now an ESPN analyst, was is how well uh, Purdy handled warm versus hot. And I, I'd never really heard that phrase before but it's something that uh uh brandon allen and, and sam darnold touched on this week as well and uh, i wrote about it it's gonna a story's gonna come out tomorrow but it's essentially knowing you know the, the the defense is blitzing and sometimes you've got to go with your hot read because the defense is bearing down on you and you've got to get rid of the ball and sometimes you're merely warm which is it's not a real favorable matchup uh, as far as pass protection, but you do have some time to throw. And uh, that's exactly what happened on the, the Debo Samuel uh, touchdown on that Kittle throw in the, in the first quarter that I was just talking about. The 49ers had um, you know, a, uh, a pass protector on every giant defender who was coming. Uh, for for how long? Um, you know, it, 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 they weren't great matchups sometimes where they were one on one, so he didn't have all day. But uh, he seemed to recognize that, and that's when he got those those big plays, uh, including the the nail in the coffin play to Debo Samuel. So I mean, it's just another uh, sort of indication of somebody who is uh, you know not even twenty four years old playing like he's. In his 30s, I mean, he's playing like uh, peak Jimmy Garoppolo. <laughs> Some would argue after watching Garoppolo the other night that he's uh, he's surpa- surpassed him in that aspect of it. Um, Malik, a friend of the show, uh, uh, says Greasy doesn't get enough credit. I think that's a great call. Uh, I think uh, having Greasy there on the sideline basically gives you another veteran quarterback, somebody who's been there. Um, and can sort of uh, fill in the experience gap that uh, Brock Purdy doesn't have. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's come into play a lot of times. Thursday nights, uh, you know, that first Thursday night game against the, the Seahawks, uh, when, when Purdy was hurt dealing with ribs, that was a big greasy game. I think greasy was a huge, huge help to him in that game. And then uh, this past Thursday night with that, uh, as, you, as you described it, David, that historic, Wink Martindale pressure game. Well, remember last season, Jimmy Garoppolo really cut his interception rate to an elite level. It was top three in the league. And that was the only season that Jimmy Garoppolo got to work under Brian Greasy. Was that a coincidence? Well, Garoppolo just threw three the other day for the Raiders against the Steelers. So uh, the sample's obviously not very big right now, but, but he's back to 
throwing picks at a higher rate again, and, and he wasn't throwing them last year, and he was throwing them under Kyle Shanahan before. That was always the one thing that Jimmy Garoppolo had to repair from a efficiency perspective. So Brian Greasy is the variable that changed last year. So I do agree with that assessment that Greasy probably should be getting a little bit more credit. As for Purdy right now, well, he's yet to throw an interception in this 2023 season. He's been looking very, very good when it comes to taking care of the football. There was the strip sack against the Pittsburgh Steelers, but really that was the play where Brock Purdy didn't have much of a chance. I know Kyle Shanahan told him on the sideline, you got to get the ball out, but you can't also, I mean, it's just, it's tough when right tackle and right guard get beaten at the snap of a finger. And that's what was happening in Pittsburgh with with Ogan Joby working there against Spencer Burford and with TJ Watt working against Colton Nikivitz. That's a good segue to the next discussion point, Matt, and that is the offensive line. Clean sheets from Colton McKivitz and Trent Williams, both 49ers tackles, despite the fi- fact that they were just getting lit up by blitzes from the New York Giants. So the pressure generally came against the interior from the Giants. They were not able to get through the 49ers tackles in this game. And I think that's a huge, huge development. And the fact that Colton McKivitz could leave that Thursday night game not having allowed a single sack or even a single pressure, well, that's something that can help Spencer Burford. And that's the next piece that the 49ers have to focus on on the offensive line because he's been allowing an inordinate amount of pressure at right guard. But if McKivitz has it figured out, if he's on a good trajectory, just by extension, that right side, which also features Spencer Burford, should benefit. Well, that brings us up to uh, this coming game against the Cardinals, um, who had a, a big surprise win against the Cowboys. Um, Nick Wagoner had a, had a nice tweet where he said that was sort of a, a double positive for the 49ers. Not only do the Cowboys, a, a rival in the NFC, now have a loss, but it was uh, sort of assurance that the 49ers wouldn't overlook uh, the Cardinals, um, you know, especially coming out of their their mini buy. It was a sort of a, uh, um, a wake up call that, uh, you know, the Cardinals are pretty good. And, uh, that, that brings up a question that Keith EJ, uh, writes us. He said, uh, the biggest surprise about Arizona was their physicality. Do you think that, that they'll be able to duplicate that against the Niners? Um, and I would say that, uh, you know, the, the fact that, um, they, um, they were ahead for the entire game against the Cowboys, allowed them to have a very balanced, a very physical, a very James Conner centric, um, offensive game plan. They, they never veered from it. Uh, the, the Cowboys never really put them under any pressure and, um, they were able to kind of, uh, wear down the Cowboys because of that. So I would say that, um, you know, if the 49ers got a lead, which, which they've, they've done in two of their three games early on, that, that, that alone is going to uh, kind of knock the, uh, uh, the Cardinals out of their rhythm. And uh, I'd also say that um, uh, Pollard for the Cowboys had some big chunk runs early. Um, yeah, that, that uh, Arizona defensive line, David, is pretty unrecognizable now uh there's no jj watt there's no chandler jones no zach allen none of the guys that uh we've come to expect when the 49ers play the the cardinals Uh, again if it's something where the 49ers get rolling early um easy to see christian mccaffrey having a big game 
I think that whole defense, is, there's going to be a lack of recognizability on the defense. Buda Baker is currently on IR. I mean, you could zoom out and say that about the whole team. Joshua Dobbs, the Arizona quarterback, went into the team store the other day because he wanted to buy some jerseys of his for his family. And, and, and he wasn't able to even order custom jersey that had Dobbs on the back. <laughs> the quarterback is, is anonymous, and he just beat the Dallas Cowboys. So uh, this, this entire Arizona football team has got new faces up and down the lineup. I would say that the familiar spots are tight end with Zach Ertz, uh, running back with James Conner, and then Rondale Moore, the, the, the small wide receiver, but the very fast wide receiver out of Purdue, you have to look out for him because you know, this is a guy that took a handoff against the Dallas Cowboys. So we, we talk about physicality from the Arizona Cardinals. They will try to run, and they're going to try to run creatively. And they have the ability to run creatively because they have a diverse skill set on the offensive side of the ball in terms of the size and speed combinations they could bring. James Conner is a 233-pound back who is one of the biggest backs in the NFL. He'll bruise. The 49ers have a lot of respect for him. But Nick Bosa warned today that – he might be 233 pounds, but he will surprise you with how often he likes to bounce outside. So he'll challenge the 49ers cornerbacks, too, with that size because he'll try to take it to the perimeter. And then when they hand off to a 4-3 guy like Rondale Moore, yeah, he's well under six feet tall, but he's got the whole shutterbug aspect to him, right? So uh, defense has to stay on its toes. It's tough. You're going to be a little bit probably forced to your heels against this Arizona Cardinals offense just because of how they can dictate the flow when running the ball with different size and speed combinations. That being said, it's really important to slow the run, and this team is number three rush DVOA, the Cardinals are. It's really important to slow the run because if you don't, you end up like the Dallas Cowboys, and Joshua Dobbs was really, really comfortable against Dallas last week. He went 17 of 21. And one of the ways, Matt, that they established the run game and, you know, one of the ways they showcase the diversity of the run game that I'm talking about is by running Dobbs himself. He had a 44-yarder right out of the gate against Dallas last week that just put the Cardinals in control of tempo, and they never gave up that control of tempo. So the 49ers have to be ready for the QB to run, and they have to be ready for the QB to not want to slide. It seems to me that Dobbs, maybe because his jersey's not even in the team store, uh, because he's still trying to make a real name for himself in this league, he, he's playing like he has nothing to lose. Against the Giants, he trucked the defensive back into the end zone, made, made him look really, really bad. So I think a lot of people are expecting Dobbs to slide on these plays. He's not sliding on these plays, and he's just part of this really diverse rushing attack that ranks number three DVOA, as I said, that is setting the tone in these football games. They set the tone against the Giants before they blew the lead. I thought that they hung in there with Washington in week one, and obviously they set a lasting tone against the Cowboys. So the 49ers cannot be victims of that. And, uh, you know, one thing that was surprising in the Thursday night game is that we were talking about Daniel Jones trying to use his legs and run with the read option for the New York Giants. He didn't end up testing the 49ers. He didn't end up doing that. I think this week, one thing that we can be sure of is that the Cardinals will try to test the 49ers on the ground with their quarterback, with their running back, and maybe even with their wide receivers. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think Dobbs is showing the same personality that the rest of the team is um, sort of a uh, uh, chip on their shoulder sense about them. And um, I thought that their reaction to their head coach's first win, Jonathan Gannon, the the ex uh, Eagles defensive coordinator was, was pretty telling. I mean, it was 
Um, it was very enthusiastic on that sideline. So there, there's good energy. I think that they like this guy, the way he coaches. Um, he coaches, I mean, you, you watch the offense and you think, okay, hey, this is a, an offense that belongs to a team uh, on which the head coach is a defensive coach. I mean, uh, it, it's pretty, I don't want to say standard, but um, it, uh, it certainly is not the Cliff Kingsbury offense that we've been seeing the previous few years with the Cardinals. So lots of uh, two tight ends. They get Zach Ertz and McBride in there. Um, as you noted, uh, a lot of runs by Connor to the inside, the outside, and, and some complimentary runs as well. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think the 49ers will overlook this team at all. Um, I think, um, I think uh, the Cardinals captured everybody's attention with that win over the, the Cowboys. Here's one for you, David. This is from uh, Malik. He asks, is a five-man line here to, here to stay, a five-man defensive line? Is something that you wrote about uh, earlier in the week. I think that it is, and I think that the five-man defensive line for the 49ers is going to be something that they roll out with more and more frequency. Uh, they only used it for a few snaps against the New York Giants. I believe they might have lined up in the five-man uh formation once against the Steelers, but it was just a one-off kind of thing. It was a more concerted effort against the Giants, and the 49ers love this because the defensive linemen do at least, because what it does is it allows everybody to have a one-on-one. There are only five offensive linemen. Normally, if you're rushing four down linemen against five offensive linemen, somebody can get double teamed. Somebody will get double teamed, right? In this situation, it's impossible to double team someone without without having a completely free rusher. And nobody wants a free defensive lineman if you're the opposing offense. So I think the 49ers are going to run more of this because they do have five starting caliber players up front, five starting caliber pass rushers up front with Javon Kinlaw now being healthy. There is a downside to it, and that's you, you have to take somebody off the field on the back end, and the 49ers have been taking – Dre Greenlaw off of the field on the back end, the linebacker. Obviously, Dre, I mean, he told me he'd rather be in on every play, but he understands why the 49ers like to do this. It's all about where you're willing to push the chips into the middle of the table, where you're willing to bet. You got to pick the right spots. And I think that in terms of uh, the five rushers, we saw the 49ers do this once on a third and long. It was third and 12. And they said, hey, we think these guys can get home fast enough because somebody's going to win their one-on-one, maybe more than one guy's going to win their one-on-one. And we believe in our coverage principles on the back end that even though we're taking away a coverage player, we'll be able to, to make this work. And I think the fans will certainly appreciate that strategy a whole heck of a lot more than a defense that sags back, right? A defense that's more like a prevent defense. And the 49ers are choosing to put their foot on the gas because they think they have the personnel to do so on both the front and the back end. And based on how well everybody's pass rushing so far, Matt, I would expect them to continue with this strategy. Yeah, and we should note that uh, no Dre Greenlaw in today's practice. He uh, was on the sideline or working out on the sideline uh, due to an uh, ankle injury. Uh, he also missed uh, Monday's bonus practice because of the same thing. So. He's a little bit banged up going to this game. Uh, I don't know if that's going to factor into the decision-making. I actually thought that Oren Burks, who would be his uh, his backup, 
um, had a, a really nice game, a couple of tackles behind the line of scrimmage, really looked uh, looked fast, which uh, I didn't think was always the case last year. But uh, I think with Burks, it's a case of, you know, uh, like any player, uh, the more you play in this defense, he says uh, Arizona's red zone defense was super effective. I don't know if that was due to their effectiveness or Dallas's ineffectiveness. Thoughts? Um, I, my only thought is that, you know, the two guys who jumped out to me on that Arizona defense were Kaiser White, the, uh, the linebacker and Marco Wilson, uh, one of the safeties, those guys seem to be everywhere. Uh, so, um, like I said, Jonathan Gannon, the Eagles, ex Eagles defensive coordinator prepared for the 49ers, obviously for the, uh, defensive, uh, for the, uh, NFC championship game. Um, he has them in the right spots and, uh, these guys are playing very aggressively and, uh, they stood out in the red zone. White obviously had a, uh, a big pick at the end of the game. Well, they, they played very efficiently at the linebacker and at the safety level, as you just said. So that the metrics actually corroborate that where Arizona has been weak has been the down defensive linemen there. They run a three, four. So the three guys there in the middle, they have not been good against the run or in pass rushing. They've gotten some good production from Dennis Gardeck, especially. He's uh, one of their outside linebackers who's effectively an edge rusher in the 3-4 scheme. But the down linemen haven't been good, and the corners have been really suspect. But you know, I, I really do think that the red zone success has come from the fact that if you do get good inside linebacker playing good safety play, that really has a chance to shine in more closed quarters and more confined spaces. And that what that's what the red zone is all about. I know Kaiser White had that interception of Dak Prescott to, to seal the game for the Cardinals. So the 49ers will have to be crisp in confined spaces in the red zone. That should be a nice test. That being said, I mean, even if the 49ers are missing somebody like Debo Samuel, who didn't practice today, due to the rib issue and a new knee issue that, that seemed to pop up after the Thursday game. Even if they're missing one of their star eligibles and they're missing Brandon Ayuk against the New York Giants, they just have a whole lot more firepower than what Arizona is bringing. And typically when you have more firepower, you can scheme guys open. And the great neutralizer to scheming guys open and throwing them open is a really good pass rush from your down defensive linemen and that's exactly where the cardinals are weak they, they haven't generated much of anything from their down defensive linemen and they also haven't been great against the run with those guys so it this is just a firepower kind of situation matt i think the 49ers have a whole lot more of it than the cardinals do i think the cardinals have obviously been scrappy on both sides of the ball but there is also a reason why the 49ers are favored by 14 points so we we have to acknowledge that two things can be true at once arizona can have impressed so far and and they they certainly have impressed so far they're number 10 dvoa through these three games they beat the cowboys last week but there's also a time when they're probably going to come back down to earth just because they're going to face a team that has a whole lot of firepower that is ready to cut off their strengths from the root and if the 49ers can stop the run i think that they're going to cut off arizona's strengths from the root if the 49ers can out scheme the Arizona inside linebackers and safeties and take advantage of the weaknesses, well, then they're cutting off Arizona's strength from the root. And I think that's the theme of this week, Matt. Yeah, and it was the theme uh, on Thursday, too. I mean, uh, the, the, the Giants were scrappy. 
with all the blitzes and you know they they made it close in the third quarter when they scored that uh that touchdown but the final score was 30 to 12 uh you know the 49ers were just um, a superior team so yeah that's sort of how i see it going as well um let's not get quite into our predictions yet um a couple more questions from uh listeners um uh, Carlos C, lots of trade questions because the 49ers have been big traders in the first half of uh, seasons uh, in recent years. He asked, is it realistic to think that the Niners would trade for Patrick Sertan if the Broncos sell? And then another question from William C, any tackle prospects that might be acquired before the trade deadline? I think, David, you and I see eye to eye on, on tackles. Um, what, what's your your sense about that? Uh, well, well, as far as tackle, the, the, the thing is, the, we don't know who's selling right now. It's still too early. The trade market is more of an October thing. It's going to happen before the deadline. I mean, at this point of last season, Carolina wasn't planning to, to sell Christian McCaffrey, right? So I think the same thing applies to uh, – tackles as it does to, to Patrick Sertan we, we just don't know now uh, I know that first question was couched with a qualifier and it said if Denver does sell will the 49ers be interested they're going to be interested in anybody that helps them improve their football team the question is what the price is going to be right if it's a king's ransom which I'm borrowing a term from when the 49ers uh, we're talking about Debo Samuel on a potential trade there while they're working on the contract. If it's a King's Ransom, I think it ties right into the tackle situation. King's Ransom means first-round pick. You have to send your first-round pick somewhere. Well, I think the 49ers might be planning to use that first-round pick in next season's draft for an offensive tackle because it's really time to start building a serious succession plan there. So uh, we, we don't know exactly who's going to be available, who's not going to be available, but I would urge everyone to realize that the 49ers are thinking about this in terms of the short and the long term, as they should. They've been more aggressive than probably any team in football, maybe all but one or two, if if you take issue with that in terms of the trade market, in terms of signing players here over the Shanahan and Lynch era. It has not been for a, a lack of trying. I mean, we were just reminded of the fact that the 49ers tried to trade for Khalil Mack, and they probably had the best offer on the table to the Raiders back in 2018, but the Raiders didn't want to deal with them. So the 49ers are always willing to take a big swing, but the, uh, the, the circumstances sometimes are dependent on factors outside of just their control, right? It depends on whether or not another team is going to have a worthy offensive tackle on the trade market or whether or not another team will have Patrick Sertan on the trade market. And it's going to depend on what the 49ers are trying to operate with in terms of their long-term plan, because they're happy to have all this draft capital again, but they're also trying to think of ways to stay under the salary cap comfortably moving forward while also making sure that that offensive line position is shored up. And, you know, I I do have to add that when you talk about tackles and when you talk about Patrick Sertan uh, and the cornerback position, are the 49ers really in that bad a shape in either of those two spots? I mean, a, a few minutes ago, I was talking about Colton McKivitz delivering a clean sheet against an NFL record high blitz rate. So if he continues improving, I'm not really sure, you know, who's going to be available on the tackle market that would be an improvement over Colton McKivitz. And then as far as as corner goes, you know, we just saw Sertan get torched a few times by 
Tyreek Hill. I Sertan's a really good player. Don't don't get me wrong. But the 49ers are playing top level defense as it is. Diamondo Lenore has not been a problem out on that football field. Charvarius Ward has not been a problem out on that football field. So it, it just becomes a question of you know what is your ROI going to be if you do decide to upgrade one of those two positions. And your investment is probably going to be massive, right? To have to go get somebody that does improve those two positions. So the 49ers, Matt, have to play this balancing act. And I will just finish this by saying it looks like they have a pretty damn impressive roster as we speak. Yeah, and um, I think that, to me, is going to dictate whether they're players in the trade market. I mean, um, do they have a, a big injury issue at one position? Um, you know, tackle can get very light very quickly. I mean, I, yeah. and I, I agree with you that uh, the 49ers tackle situation, while not perfect, is probably better than 85% of uh, the rest of the NFL. Um, and that the cornerback position isn't, isn't that bad. Uh, but, you know, one, one Charvarius Ward, uh, you know, uh, injury. And uh, I, I think you would start seeing uh, some issues there. And, um, you know, somebody like Sertan would, would become more valuable. I, I do think that the 49ers were very um, happy to have signed Anthony Brown recently. I don't know if he's going to come in right away and, and be, you know, the, the third quarterback. But the fact that Brown has so much playing experience to, to acquire him for nothing um, at this point in the season uh, late September, I think that they, they saw that as a bit of a coup. And it came just as the, the Cowboys, you know, one of their big rivals in the NFC, had a huge injury at, uh, at cornerback. And, and the fact that, uh, you know, the, the, the timing worked out so that uh, Brown isn't going to Dallas. He's coming here. He is here. Um, and is uh, starting to practice with this team is a big deal. I, I don't. I don't think that means that the 49ers wouldn't be interested um, in a in a uh, top tier cornerback. But um, I think that they are more reassured today than perhaps they were a week ago at that spot. Absolutely. I mean, depth at both of those positions is so critical. I mean, the 49ers have been on the short end of the stick there, right? In 2021, when they saw both of those positions ravaged by injuries. Cornerback, though, it got historically bad in terms of defensive pass interference penalties once the 49ers lost their top guys. And offensive tackle that year, they had to play with Tom Compton to, to the bitter end. And he was a good run blocker, but the the beating that Jimmy Garoppolo took la- that year, that might have cost the 49ers a Super Bowl that season because uh, Jimmy hurt his thumb first and then he hurt the shoulder, right? And he was playing with two injuries and they ran out of gas and the NFC Championship came and, you know, those injuries were direct results of hits that he was taking during the regular season when the pass protection just wasn't good, especially on the right side of the offensive line. So you want to bolster your roster with as much depth as possible at all positions, but cornerback and tackle are two particularly perilous ones. Uh, at the same time, every single team is trying to do that. So I think it's a great point that you made there. After Trayvon Diggs got hurt, uh, it wouldn't have been out of the realm of possibility that the Dallas Cowboys would want to stock up at that position with somebody familiar like Anthony Brown. Played, what, five or six seasons with Dallas. But Anthony Brown is a 49er now. So uh, we'll see how quickly he can get into the fold for this football team. It's all fascinating stuff as teams try to navigate the perilous waters 
of the regular season. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Matt, you know, let's talk a little bit about the 49ers defensive line. These guys, I mean, they're playing at a, at a league best clip right now. We talked about the five-man fronts a little bit earlier, but I want to just zoom in on the interior because Javon Hargrave is one of the best in the league, and, and he's playing that way so far. Nick Bosa is playing like one of the best in the league. We know that, that that's the case with him. But Bosa, I think, on the outside is really benefiting from what's happening on the inside with Hargrave, with Eric Armstead, who's been steady for for years now, and now with Javon Kinlaw. Between those three, the 49ers have almost an excess of riches inside. But if there's anybody who knows how to, you know, make efficiency out of an excess of riches, it's Chris Kacarek, right? And Chris Kacarek is finding very effective ways to rotate in that interior. To me, it's a night and day difference from last year when the 49ers only had three combined sacks from their defensive tackles. Their next sack from a DT is going to match last year's total. And we're only entering week four right now, right? To me, I mean, this was the number one defense already last year. But they did so with a rather weak interior defensive line. Now you got that number one defense plus maybe the strongest interior defensive line in the league. Out of all the reasons that we talk about the 49ers as legitimate Super Bowl contenders and the, you know, maybe the, the, the top favorite to win the Super Bowl this year, the, what pushed them over the top might be that interior defensive line and the improvement that we've seen from that part of the front. Yeah, I mean, it's reminiscent of the uh, 2019 defensive line, which uh, took the 49ers to the Super Bowl. So, I mean, I think that's what the 49ers' plan was, and it's, uh, it's uh, nice to see um, it bearing fruit. I mean, this is what the, they they uh, thought would happen when they brought Hargrave in, and he's delivered so far. Um, you know, to me, the the one question mark is the other end spot, and uh, we've seen Cleveland Farrell or Cleveland Furl uh, start the first three games, but this last game was the first one where Drake Jackson actually ended up with more snaps than Furl did. So um, I wonder whether we're, we're seeing a kind of changing of the guard. Obviously, the, the 49ers, um, you know, want Jackson to take over that spot. They probably envision him as the, as the starter, the Nick Bosa-like guy um, for 2024 and beyond. The question is, how soon does that happen? So I think that's something to keep an eye on in these upcoming games. I mean, that uh, that ratio of snaps and you know does does Drake Jackson actually start to start to start 
um, uh, coming up. But um, that's something moving forward that'll be interesting to watch. And it gets obvious in the future that they see Robert Beal as, as perhaps the uh, the third defensive end, sort of the uh, uh, the D Ford uh, speed rusher element that comes in. I don't know what kind of factor he's going to be this season, uh, but um, that's uh, that to me is interesting. It brings up a you know a, a question I get a lot from my mailbag, and that's about uh, Brian Burns. Um, several people asked about, uh, Brian Burns and whether he's a possibility, uh, for a trade. I mean, that would be the, the team that you would think might trade somebody, the Panthers, a team that traded the, the 49ers McCaffrey last year, a team that's rebuilding, um, a team that can't work out a long-term term deal with Brian Burns. Now he is young, so that would probably would be, um, you know, not not a great move for a team like the Panthers that's uh, in rebuilding mode. But who knows? I mean, maybe uh, um, you know both both sides feel like uh, he needs a fresh start. That certainly would require a first round pick and probably a little bit more than a first round pick. So, uh, but uh, if they did that, <laughs> I mean, you would have uh, Burns on one side, Bosa on the other side, Hargrave, uh, uh, Armstead, and uh, Kinlaw in the middle. Um, yeah, they would be the, uh, you know, the, the, the hottest team bar none coming out of the NFC. And they might already be, which is crazy right now. And you, you can't discount anything. I know Jed York at the owners meetings was talking about the fact that he was excited that the 49ers would be in position to pounce again. If, if something made sense, the stars just do have to line for something that makes sense, especially when the roster is already this good. Otherwise you're kind of just spinning your wheels, you know, if it's, if it's, Patrick Sertan at a at an insanely high price, then you start to defeat the goal of sustainability that you have as a football team, right? So you have to determine what the right price is. It's kind of like the standoff with Nick Bosa and the contract negotiations. I think ultimately they found a deal that that worked for both sides, that worked for the sustainability of the 49ers cap and obviously worked for Nick Bosa. And I think that the the way they got there was the the $50 million signing bonus is a massive signing bonus it was a huge increase a 40 percent increase over previous signing bonuses so it took something at that position so it took something unprecedented but that signing bonus did it because it gave bosa the money he wanted and allowed the 49ers to, to stretch out that cap hit to make it sustainable so in a similar way uh you look at potential trade targets before the deadline it's going to take something special to get something to, to move in, in this situation. And it's probably more likely, if we're being honest, that we're going to see one of those typical 49ers microtransactions, which have been very productive for them in the past, right? 2020, Jordan Willis ended up being a hero in the 2021 season at Lambeau Field. 2021, Charles Amenahu ended up earning a $10 million annual contract from the Kansas City Chiefs, was huge for the 49ers last season. I mean, these are all examples of trades that didn't come with much fanfare at the time, but ended up determining major, major victories for the 49ers. So I think that's just important to keep in mind. Matt, why don't we wrap up by uh, talking a little bit about this Arizona game? Uh, I don't know if we've given predictions on the podcast yet, but uh, that we had been conditioned to shy away from it uh, with Dennis. De- De- Dennis never liked giving out predictions. We can give out a prediction here now, though, can't we, for the Arizona game? Yeah, for sure. I mean, to me, uh, I, I see uh, Josh Dobbs as uh, this year's version of, of Geno Smith. 
um, you know, playing uh, kind of a, a, a similar style. I know he doesn't have the experience that that Gino has or or the pedigree that that Gino had, um, but you know, s- seems to bring a similar lift to um, a similarly talent deficient team. Um, and I'd say even the, the Seahawks are were more talented last year than the Cardinals are this year. Uh, but y- even with all that, uh, you know, positive energy, <laughs> Seahawks still went 0-3 against the 49ers last year. And, and really, you know, despite uh, a good first half in the playoffs, um, really not all that competitive. And so I, I, I see this game going the same way. Um, and it'll be interesting that that 30 point barrier has been, um, you know, uh, uh, difficult for the 49ers. They keep saying that they think that there, there are more points out there. They've landed on 30 um, three weeks in a row. Um, I think that they will go over the 30 mark this time. I'm going to go 33-17 49ers. I'm going to keep on going with 30 since uh, it, th- th- they seem to, to demonstrate that 30 is exactly what they like to score. So uh, just for fun, I'm going to go with 30 every single week until the 49ers break that uh, break that streak. So 30 for the 49ers. I don't think that Arizona is going to be able to put up more than – I think it's going to be a proper blowout. Let's put it that way. 30 to 13, that seems about right to me. You said 33-17, you said? Yeah, that was mine. Yeah. All right, and I'll go 30 to 13. We have roughly the same margin of victory, right? My, I think yours is 16 and mine is 17. They won by 18 last time against the New York Giants. So, And Arizona and the New York Giants played a really close game. So seems about right to me. We'll keep a track on the injury situation moving forward. All right, everybody, thank you for your questions. We appreciate it. This has been another episode of Here's the catch in live room setting. We'll talk to you all next week after the 49ers play the Arizona Cardinals. They're looking to go to 4-0, and they're favored to go to 4-0 before the Dallas Cowboys come home. For Matt Barrows, this is David Lombardi. Everybody, talk to you soon. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.